0: Welcome to another edition of the Artist Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia Schuler, and today's guest is a father. He is a sound engineer and he is an arts leader. Welcome to the show, Atiba
1: Berkeley. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes, thank you for coming. So excited.
1: Yes, yeah, it's gonna yes. be fun.
0: Um, so we met. What was the first Black Awards like? Three or four years ago? Yeah, three Three or four. four. Yeah. Um, And since we've met and I know who you are now, I see you everywhere doing everything (laughs) all the time. So it's like you're the man, especially when it comes to sound. Yeah. I like to
1: stay in the mix a little bit.
0: Yes. Yeah. I'm very excited that you agreed to come on the show and drop these jewels that you're going to give these people today.
1: Well, thanks. I love what y'all are doing and trying to, you know, educate the community and, you know, share people's stories.
0: Yes. Yes. So tell us about a young Atiba and how did you get on your journey of becoming this sound engineer? art leader in the community
1: yeah yeah well I was um actually a student of the fine arts when I was younger I spent my entire high school career training to get a scholarship uh as an opera singer
0: I'm sorry (laughs)
1: yeah yeah people don't uh necessarily see that when they see me but I was that kid in the choir with uh you know I just started my locks over but my locks were about this long in high school and I would be at opera rehearsal with a Wu-Tang t-shirt on like (laughs) you know I was that dude yeah I I learned how to uh sing and I I used to sing I could sing in about eight languages really I could I can read I don't know the languages
0: okay
2: but
1: I had to learn the phonetics of them to sing so if you hand me a book in German Mm -hmm. I can read German wow if you hand me a book in Italian I can read Italian and it'll sound really good for an American like
0: wow
2: you know but
1: I don't know what I'm saying I never learned languages I did take Italian courses for a little bit Mm -hmm. and I took like three years of honors French Good. but when you don't speak it doesn't stick that way so right but yeah wow so I did that and then I fell off what I call um the arts ledge mm-hmm. which is when you were an artist that does not um when you're an artist that is not scholarshipable mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and you get to the end of your high school career your arts career is done mm um you know there's no community support typically Mm -hmm. um whatever what there is you really have to fight for and find if your community has something at all Mm -hmm. for people over 18 because then the day you turn 18 and graduate school you're no longer a student you're just considered an amateur and most communities don't support Mm -hmm. amateur artists very well Mm -hmm. so um i fell off the arts ledge i didn't really want to do performance anymore I was kind of tired of regurgitating european standards Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that's what i've been doing yeah And, um, I was probably going to try and switch to composition if I had gotten a scholarship anyway, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't able to go to college right away. So, um, actually ended up homeless right after high school for a short stint. Wow. Uh, was working the whole time, finally saved up money, got my own spot. And then I was like, so what's next? And I moved to North Carolina. I moved to North Carolina and in in 99 Mm -hmm. and ended up, um, Deciding that I wanted to be a sound engineer, but there was nowhere to do it.
2: Mm -hmm. And like
1: the very next year after I made that decision, um, GTCC opened up its audio program Mm -hmm. and I was enrolled in the second semester. It existed. Wow. But I had already started like buying equipment and learning on my own Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, so that's kind of the beginning. That's, that was, that was how it started. I wanted to be close to the stage. I missed it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in the arts and around the stage. Um, and the arts in academia they teach you that like only the best counts Mm -hmm. like in high school it's always about who can get the highest score in their jury and who can you Mm -hmm. know paint the best Mm -hmm. pictures and win Mm -hmm. these contests and stuff as opposed to art as just a part of life or way of life Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um once i realized there were other ways to stay connected to the arts um it was a really valuable lesson, and I was like, "Okay, well, I can do audio." I investigated. I wanted to be a record producer,
3: mm-hmm.
1: or A for a major label,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or a sound engineer. I had a teacher, an English teacher, that made us do a career. Tra- had a career track English mm-hmm. class, mm-hmm. and she made us pick career. She's like, "You got to think about this, and it's your paper, it's your grade." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay, let me think about it." So I narrowed it down to those three, and we had to interview people from all parts
2: mm-hmm.
1: that we picked, and um, a local sound engineer um, really. Really good friend of mine now named Bobby Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was referred to him and he took me to buy my first pair of headphones and we listened mm-hmm. to a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and he taught me kind of how music stores and sampling and trying new equipment worked before mm-hmm. you buy it and mm-hmm. took me to a recording studio he worked with and I got to investigate that equipment, walked me through some live scenarios. So I got to mm-hmm. really investigate kind of the full realm of sound mm-hmm. engineering from a music standpoint. Mm-hmm. And um, I had looked at. I had met with a record label, A and R, and I had met with, um, you know, some producers also. And once audio was there, it had the tech aspect that I really liked because I'm kind mm-hmm. of a science geek. Mm-hmm. And then it had guaranteed money.
2: I feel that <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, people don't realize like you know they sell this thing about being a popular artist
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and that's what the arts are being popular mm-hmm. um but all popular artists have support especially if they're popular they mm-hmm. have to to manage life mm-hmm. and so but those people get checks yeah <laughs> <laughs> if you can figure out what those job titles are called yeah and learn those skills so yeah. audio was the one i was like look the whole crowd can boo the whole show and as long as I did my job, I still get a check? Let's do that. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. So. I have so many questions.
0: <laughs> I have so many questions. Okay. Cause this is the closest to what you just said. Can you define an AR? I feel like I have an idea of what an AR is because you hear that term all the time. But can you define yeah. what an AR is?
1: Well, ARs are largely being phased out. I'll say that first of all. Um, but in this traditional record company, um, AR star stands for artisan and repertoire. Mm-hmm. So their job was to go find new talent. But oh. then also, uh, especially kind of in like the golden age of A&R, like these stories that you hear about, oh, so and so was playing in a club and you know, my car broke down. So I went to the local bar and, you know, got a hotel for the night. And then I walked in, there was this guy playing in the hotel lobby. Mm-hmm. And and now that dude's Michael Jackson, like, you know, right. whatever the story is. Like right. that's what an A&R does. They literally scout new talent. Mm. Um, wherever it can be found so they're the guys that that used to go to the high school talent shows that used to you know show up at um, the gym jams and show up at local venues and shows and decide who gets to be the next person and Mm. A&R's job is to bring talent to a label Mm. so they scout these people they develop relationships with them Mm -hmm. they might see somebody and be like yo man, you you're dope I can't sign you at all you're not ready yet
2: Mm-hmm. Like, how old
1: are you? You're 14 right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Come see me when you're 19.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm.
1: and in the meantime, work on this and this and this and stay in touch with me.
0: Right. You need time to develop.
1: Yeah. yeah. I need time to develop. And so a and would develop talent and um, find talent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of A&Rs also double dipped as producers Mm. and then would get some A&Rs just did the relationship and contract stuff,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, but a lot of them did double do double dip as producers. Look, perfect example. And the most prolific example is Quincy Jones. Mm. Quincy Jones went from being a jazz player to being a composer to being like one of the greatest (laughs) (laughs) A&Rs and producers ever, but he would find people. People would also bring him people. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah. Um, that's what a r does. They find.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So now that you've folks. broken it down. And you feel like. Well not that you feel like. I know for sure. Because everything is changing right now in the world. And the lines of distribution are being broken down. The people can be independent. And mm-hmm. just go straight online. So is that yeah. why the a and position is kind of phasing out?
1: It is. But labels still need them. Hmm. Because when you're a CEO running a company. And you've got all of this. And you got to take care of books. And meetings. And hmm. big sponsors. And all that stuff.
2: Hmm.
1: You might not have time as a CEO of a company. To go down to this little club in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and hear about this group playing this club called Tramps <laughs> that has an upright bass. Yeah. But then, next thing you know, that group is the Roots. Mm-hmm. And do you want more drops? You yeah. know, and I used to go see them at a little club called Tramps right. in New York, right. you know, and they were coming from Philly with yeah. an upright bass, yeah. you know.
0: Well, let's come on back to North Carolina then. So you yeah. moved down here, you found the program at GTCC. Mm-hmm. And you started that, were you working like gigging during sound engineering? I had
1: bought some equipment. Um, like that English class that I took was before the program at GC and I was just trying to go to school because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Right. That's what they tell and you. And I made it about two or three semesters and I dropped out and I was like, This isn't gonna work for me right now. I don't have the direction I want, and I promised myself I'd never waste money on an education that I don't want. Mm-hmm. Like it's just bad debt. Mm-hmm. So um, but that was when I had the class. So from having that class was like I want to be a sound engineer. I was like, okay, well I'm not in school and I'm not rich. So I started um, buying equipment and learning and I started working with my friends' bands and stuff. Yeah. My, and so, um, but like my 21st birthday party, instead of like going and getting drunk and all that stuff, um, I printed flyers at Kinko's uh, that I made in uh, Microsoft Paint. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> like I went straight stick figure, like yeah. I drew a house. And I drew a couple of people and I drew a green tree with a little green ball top. Yeah. And then I said, house party. And I went to Kinko's and I printed like, I don't know, maybe five thousand of these. Yeah. And then like eight and a half by eleven paper. And then they'll like cut them up. I yeah. made them cut them into like the little four per squares. page. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we had like five hundred people in a basement. I had two live acoustic acts uh-huh. and like seven DJs
0: wow
1: um but i threw a production party because mm-hmm. i needed to prove to myself that when i could promote something mm-hmm. to that um my belief in my friend's talent was like valid mm-hmm. that like i had knife talent because i still had an eye on like i was like i'm a sound engineer now i'm gonna do this but i still like to produce mm-hmm. so, like if i could be a engineer and a producer pff, that's double the credits on a record you kidding
3: yeah. me like <laughs> you know
1: like, i was like i'm gonna do this yeah so i threw it and like I can honestly say everybody that played that party is like still a professional musician today pretty much.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this is so random. So because I know you told me earlier that you teach. Do you want to be a teacher?
1: N- yes and no. Okay. It's really funny. I've always wanted to teach on my own terms. People uh-huh. are always like, hey, team, you should be a teacher. But I'm going to tell you kids the truth. I couldn't work for a school system.
0: School systems are tricky because I work for the school system Yeah, but... <laughs> I could not work for a school system, like especially
1: a public school system. Yeah, because I'm going to tell people I'm going to talk about politics. I'm going to talk about all of that stuff because it's all connected. Yeah, and like I don't want my curriculum to be limited by you know your the politics of it. Yeah, mm. you'd be a great teacher. Well, I do. I do. Um, with with the blue Society yeah. right now, I'm basically our only educator mm. for our Blues in the Schools programs. Uh-huh. Like. Mm-hmm. So people would never think that a program about blues and blues history and legacy which i link all the way to hip-hop and mm-hmm. rock and roll mm-hmm. um would talk about redlining or would talk about equity mm-hmm. but the, that's the whole point of the conversation right <laughs> like, it's all tied in for together. me yeah you know it's like there's the art part where it's like and a lot of teachers i think think that i'm coming in to talk about you know well blues happens on the and five and there's 12 bar and listen to this song Mm-hmm. But understanding that, you know, that art form and all these American and pop art forms, especially musical art forms, are directly connected to like our African heritage and legacy is like really important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's documented that, you know, part of the reason that people even experience black music the way they do is because our music and our art forms were never of just art. They are mm-hmm. of life you know uh-huh. if I tap out the wrong rhythm on this drum I've now told a your mama joke instead of letting you know that somebody is coming to launch war on your village <laughs> right, <laughs> you know right, what I mean right. so it's really important that you get these rhythms correct right you know right and that you hit them you know with a certain type of emphasis yeah you know depending on what their you know purpose is yeah and we recognize that you know we recognize it when we hear someone singing a song and you know they're singing the lyric And it's a happy lyric, but they're not happy. Like you have to deliver that. And that's the job of like in African culture, our griots, Mm -hmm. you know, their whole job, whole families, you know, genetically have been predestined to, you know, be painters, to be our oral storytellers, to be our, um, you know, musicians, Mm -hmm. to be our healers, Mm -hmm. you know, because they have this ability to digest that and represent that and maintain it and to pass it down,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. you know, Mm so and we do that. Even when we're in another society and are pulled away from our original culture, there are parts that we keep, that we tuck away, and that remain. Yeah. And they leach into culture, and that's how you know pop music came to be.
0: You went so many places that I want to go with you. Okay, <laughs> we got to come Sorry. back. Okay, yeah. it's okay, it's okay, because I we got to get to the blue society too. Yeah. But okay, let's get back to twenty-one year old Atiba. Okay. So you have your house party. You realize your gifts and your talents. You see your purpose. What was the next step in towards like building the career that you have today? Because you have a great um, career. I mean, in my eyes, mm-hmm. I don't know, because it's like your life. Right. But right. from what I see, I see you everywhere. If anybody yeah. asked for science engineering here or in Durham, because, you know, I saw you in Durham as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a team, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, how yeah. you know, what was that transition like?
1: Um, I think it was I was my I've been a business manager for when I was 18, like I was six months left in high school. In my regional manager at Pizza Hut, who I used to mess with all the time, I'm like Rick, when are you gonna make me manager? The day I turned eighteen, apparently, okay. like, and I didn't realize I was getting trained on like you know, American corporate customer service. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that's what I was getting trained on, but I'm like a high school kid. I'm like, you want me to go a class on Saturday? And when I'm doing all these classes, you gonna pay me how much money? Okay, let's do that. Right. Like it wasn't <laughs> a thing. Like the forethought wasn't there. But I go in and I'm trained in you know, behavior based interviewing, customer service management, inventory control, all this stuff. And I realized that like. You know there's this whole system this is how it works this is how people you know mm-hmm. make money but mm-hmm. it doesn't just work here mm-hmm. when you hear the word corporate that works everywhere mm-hmm. you know
3: mm-hmm. so
1: i had those skills which i was just really lucky to basically be gifted by a company mm-hmm. and anybody working for a company like don't work for them like make them work for you like they offer you training think about what you can get out of it for yourself instead of just saying oh maybe we go to this dumb class like yeah. you know you really can learn skills that are valuable yeah um Even if you don't necessarily always appreciate the environment or the people teaching you, Mm -hmm. like take the skills. (laughs) Like, you know, um, do it for you. You got to be there anyway. Right. So, um, having those corporate trainings and understanding what people really wanted, my role in the arts became apparent that, you know, when you are not on stage, Mm -hmm. you are in service.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: The only role in entertainment that is not in service is an artist on stage mid-performance.
0: Why do you say that? Because it's true. mid-performance.
1: Because when you're off stage, you still have to, um, you know, uh, respond to others.
2: Mm. Okay.
1: You know, so like if I'm in a meeting with staff, even though I'm the artist, I'm Jay-Z and Beyonce. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You think I could just say to whatever to whoever just because I'm paying them?
2: right no probably not no
1: (laughs) (laughs) and that's what i mean yeah on stage as your character in your art that's where you have complete freedom but we all have social restrictions and stuff like that gotcha Gotcha. you know but you are in service yeah you know and um whether you're a filmmaker Mm. you know you're in if you're a filmmaker you're unless you're the writer you're in service to a script
0: you're in service to everybody the producers everyone you know
1: but all those people are also in service to each other right you know because at the end y'all only get that grammy or that oscar if everybody did their job exceptionally well
0: that's true you know so so
1: so y'all can shove him to the side because you don't like him but if he's the best guy with lighting that you can get for this project right now which has to shoot right now because we re-wrap in three days and right you know right you better make it work yeah and so you find different ways of compromising but hopefully without compromising yourself
2: right Right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Um and so that I mean that's what I did to make it I'm nice.
2: Yeah.
1: People will say like you know, you know, oh sound guys are jerks blah blah. I never wanted to be that sound guy mm-hmm. and I refuse to be. Mm-hmm. You know one i've quit smoking now but one time in an attempt to quit smoking i got like really really angry like they say yeah. that happens mm-hmm. i didn't believe it but i actually cursed at somebody through a yeah. monitor on yeah. stage
3: okay
1: <laughs> like, you know what i mean like i'm talking to them through their talk back mic and i'm yeah. like Ugh. yeah like evilly, yeah like, you know, like i was being just pure evil yeah um but aside from that like i'm i'm a nice guy you know yeah. i will listen to what the artist wants i will tell people no you know yeah um, even i think when we worked together on the block awards it's like there's this is vision that we have and then there's the reality of what we can do right and we have to bridge that gap right in every situation right <laughs> you know because yeah. this show is going to happen right and we can be up here in disagreement and angry or we can get up here and you know make things happen the best that we can and end up with i think we had a pretty good result i don't think we are do. angry actually either on that show but yeah but no, just an didn't. example, you yeah. know, like
0: because yeah. we had a lot of technical difficulties on that show.
1: We we fought <laughs> through that bad boy, but <laughs> we, did. we did well. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, you yeah. know, we fought the,
0: together because I had to get in the trenches with you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 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 we did. Yeah,
1: we did. Um, it was good. Yeah. It's been fun watching you guys. You know, like battle and fight. I think I've watched you guys become, um, you know, professional entrepreneurs. I think I've gotten to watch you guys, like, kind of evolve from being you know more amateur int- entrepreneurs and artists to more professional entrepreneurs and artists. Not that any of it was not good. Right, no, it's, it's a practice. just there's a difference. right? And you can only get it by being in that fire. Right. <laughs> like, you know, and yeah. getting burnt the hell up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes getting to cool off and they're getting burnt the hell up again. Right. Like, you know. Right. But that's the, pr- and a lot of people don't, so when people talk about entertainment's hard and you know, um, it's not for everybody. It's not. It isn't. Some people don't understand urgent even in my, like, personal relationships, like my relationship with my wife, mm. my wife does not have a sense of urgency. Yeah. Like, just general, it's not of who she is. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you know, hyper-focus, her, my ability to hyper-focus scares her. Yeah. She thinks I'm going <laughs> to kill one of our children because, like, if I'm watching a video, yeah. there can be a child right here, and I will not hear the child. Like, yeah. my hyper-focus is on because I'm really interested. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. um, But that's also... What people pay me for is my hyper focus, my ability to shut everything else out. Right. Unfortunately, at one point I learned, I think, how to shut down my bladder for like up to 18 hours. That's not healthy. It's not something I consciously did, but you're, you're <laughs> in a show and like you've probably done it during a taping. Yeah. You gotta go. And guess what? You gotta hold it. <laughs> it's though. the golden hour. Nope. You're right. Like no, you gotta hold you it. You gotta hold it.
0: And you gotta stay there until it's done. And there's no, no matter what time. Doesn't
1: matter how long. Yeah. And there is no breaks. If 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 talent can't take a break, you can't either. No. Right? No. So no,
0: that makes me think about I was on this film set and it was the last day. So and it was when the artist block had first opened that I was on this film set. So I was trying it was homecoming, auntie's homecoming. So I was trying to get back to the artist block because we're normally done working by like nine ten at night. We didn't leave that set to four in the morning mm, because mm, it was the mm. last day you had to stay like because you had to get it done. Yeah. So what you're saying is very true. And that all goes to like your daddy. Like, how bad do you want it?
1: You know yeah, there's a lot of dedication. There's stuff that you do um, that you never would expect. I once was left at a vineyard by a production company um, mm-hmm. after an event it was a wedding for like the owner's daughter. Mm-hmm. And when the the owner, the manager wanted to leave, but we had like hung lights in the ceiling of temp. Also we had like a crew of like 10 people set up the show mm-hmm. and the owner of the company left two of us to break it down. Wow. You know yeah. but we had to get everything it's a vineyard there's nothing but vines and like this one building and right. a pop-up tent that the rental company's coming for tomorrow right so you know we had to do it and then the guy I was working with broke a finger broke a toe something horrible happened i think like he broke a finger something fell on his hand or something so then my <laughs> partner was crippled and stuff <laughs> we didn't get out of there until i want to say five and five thirty in the morning yeah. Wedding was over at 10 p.m. Wow. You know what I mean? We yeah. were over like 9 or 10 p.m.
0: Yeah.
1: And th- all this gear has to get out. It right. has to get in that truck right there. Right. And we're the only two that's going to do it. Right. So we can gripe and moan or we can get it done. But the industry expects that you get it done. Period. So it can be really <laughs> abusive. Um, but also understanding who you're working for and what you're signing up for is important.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, like not all money's good money. Mm-hmm. Not all experience is good experience. Yeah. You know, um, and that I think is one of the hardest lessons for people to learn.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Is you know, you gotta really, you know, look out for yourself. Yeah. And really investigate and learn how to ask questions. Say I don't know. There's the number that's one of the top lessons right there.
2: Mm-hmm. Say I don't know. Right.
1: Say I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't be over here holding something. But yo, know, go get a C37. What? Right. <laughs> okay. They needed that C37 30 seconds ago, and you don't know what it is, but you're too scared to look stupid to just say, I don't know. Right. And right. now you're wasting people's time. Right. Don't do that. It's a paperclip or a clothespin. A clothespin. A clothespin. Yeah. A clothespin yeah. For those that don't know. I was know. about to say, yeah. It's, it's a not a paperclip. It's a clothespin.
0: Yeah. Which is so, so odd that they call it a C37. But yeah. 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 It's <laughs> yeah. stupid. It is.
1: <laughs> There's stories about why, but yeah. like still, it's still stupid.
0: No, I think but, that's important, though, to acknowledge what you don't know, because at the end of the day, a lot of us don't know, like we're learning as we go. And honestly, like sometimes that's the best teacher yeah. to learn from experience as you go. Cause you Also, a real professional
1: will tell you that they don't know. No, well, they'll tell you that they don't know. But no, they'll tell you what you don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah like yeah. if you say, I don't know, they're like, you know what? Why don't we stay after 15? Do you know how much I've learned by saying I don't know? Yeah. Saying I don't know just got me another new mentor that's about to send me to the next level in television. I mix for audio, TV, and uh, music. Mm-hmm. Sports television is my specialty in television. I've done reality television as well, mm-hmm. and like you know, just ENG production stuff. I've not really done film. I've helped on some independent films, but that's yeah. not really my thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, so that's one part that I work in. Mm-hmm. I work with live music so whether it's festival style whether it's mm-hmm. boutique concert large format small format
2: mm-hmm.
1: i work on you know live audio yeah, yeah um and then i do theater stuff and that's plays it's dance rehearsals it's in performances mm-hmm. it's all sorts of things that happen in theaters yeah Include films yeah you know yeah um i think i was able to do uh audio for a film just not too long ago for a tab
0: what, what film oh the oh film yes yes the fi- the, over at the, the Blandwood Mansion. the movie yes yeah. yes yes you yes. know what I
1: mean so um but understanding the needs of different formats mm-hmm. is important understanding um the needs of different genres for me in music that's also been one of the things that's kept me employed some guys are like I'm gonna make it big in hip-hop that's great but if hip-hop ain't got a check for you can you mix bluegrass because the when they right call there. me and say, hey, I've got the show. Do you mix bluegrass? I'll be like, Yeah, you want to see my IBM A credits on monitors in front of house. Mm. Like, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do you want do, do you need a do you need a a reference? Yeah. Cause I've got production companies that will tell you, yeah, he mixed the hell out of some bluegrass. Yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. like so, you know, I mix bluegrass. I worked with, with a um, with a production company that worked in local venues here and mixed metal and hardcore for 10 years. Wow. Um reggae. Um, hip hop, uh, all sorts of DJ. I've also run my own events,
2: mm-hmm. like
1: from that first production part of that through. Um, I've thrown everything from house music events. I live streamed um, for two years from a bar that no longer exists. It was called Brewski's Tavern mm-hmm. on West Market Street.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I live streamed every Wednesday for two years on UStream, like mm-hmm. almost ten years ago. Yeah, long before Facebook Live. Yeah, and like you know, all that type of stuff. People thought I was crazy. <laughs> they're like why would you why would nobody's gonna watch your show from a bar and we would have like maybe you know some nights we'd have three people watch the stream Mm -hmm. some night i think the most we might have had in one night might have been like 50 something yeah you know people watching one stream because it was like a band that was a little bit more popular that advertised for themselves better yeah that you could watch it that way yeah i had one band come in from brooklyn and they were um and they were talking to their mom and grandma on camera and they were uh, their mom and girlfriend and they were so happy because <laughs> the girlfriend realized they really were actually playing music somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and the mom realized they really were actually playing music somewhere. Yeah. And that they were actually decent. That band actually does my favorite um, Outcast prototype cover.
0: Nice. Yeah. 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 Um, you, you just like you have so many experiences. Okay. I had another question. Yeah. Um, when was the first time you got paid and what was it and then for anything or for my art? no for your art okay. well specifically for sound engineering okay what was the first time you got paid and what, what was the gig
1: okay yeah um the first time that i got paid is a little sometime the first i it's probably this is close if it isn't it but um i don't think it's it but it's the closest one i can remember vanessa ferguson actually Really? I was one of Vanessa Ferguson's first front of house engineers. Um, she had a group called the Soul Set Free Project. Mm-hmm. And I, actually, I know it wasn't the first one because I got it from a gig I had done for another guy. Um, her drummer at the time was this guy, JV, mm-hmm. that uh, used to live here. Now he's in Charleston. He's a chef and still a drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, man, we got to get you in here on this audio. They're killing us, man. Like We sound yeah. like trash, Atiba. He's yeah. like, we got to get you in here. Yeah. And I was still new, but I, like I had an ear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like yeah I'd love to work with you guys I used to sit in the renaissance um, and uh, there was this guy named Puff RIP he's gone now um, but Puff was one of the club owners and him and I had to have a conversation before I could mix in this club About. and we had the conversation it was just uh, like uh, it was weird because it was like a business conversation like he was you know he appeared to be, I don't like to make judgments of people, he appeared to be, you know, somewhat of the streets. But clearly he's a business owner. He's running this club. He's the owner. They've got their lease and they're doing great. I mean, mm-hmm. The Renaissance ran for years and had a lot of great nightlife for our community. Mm-hmm. So he just wanted to talk to me and like meet me. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm. Um, but I went in and everything was cool with him. And then everything was cool with Vanessa.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she was like, we could try it out. Um, but she was in this group called soul set free project. It was her and a guy named Matthew Duckworth and a Letitia. I can't remember Letitia's last name. Um, Letitia, um, and the band. And I would sit in a corner, like the size of this stage and the whole band would be in this, mm-hmm. but they would also get like special guests from like the black promoters. Like one night I have a video on Facebook somewhere on my business page, of D Ray, the comedian, Mm-hmm. He was like the club guest. You know, they bring Mm -hmm. like uh, celebrities to the clubs. Mm -hmm. They got him there that night, and he actually got up on stage. And I was like, "Oh, D-Ray sang on my microphone." There was no lights. It was like horrible. (laughs) I'm sitting back in the corner. No joke. Like, there's Mm -hmm. a drum set here. Uh I'm back in the corner with headphones, like mixing like this. Yeah. The speakers all the way over there. Yeah. And I can barely hear anything. JVs. (laughs) was like in my ear. Yeah. You know, but um, that's what it was like. I think it was like fifty bucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> okay. for like load in a whole show load out using all my own equipment yeah nobody bought anything but instruments yeah you know yeah um, but we made it work and the group was so talented they would have them rocking yeah and we were done early we were done by like 11 or 11 30 or maybe midnight because then they would go to the club dj upstairs like on the second floor of the mm-hmm. ready they mm-hmm. would have like the party dj and stuff gotcha but they would do a switch over yeah. so we would be there for like the the ladies' hour on Friday night or whatever, mm-hmm. or Saturday night, for like ten to twelve, and then mm-hmm. they turn up. And yeah, like slide out, and disappear. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that but was you, probably like my first. That was definitely my first like consistent gig.
0: But you learned a lot from that experience, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: I learned how to listen differently. Um, sitting on the stage with the band, while I would never choose it as an ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned about the importance of communication, mm-hmm. paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And got to appreciate stuff, you know, from a different perspective. Yeah. Because you really see it from the band's perspective when you're up there with them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So sometimes I might have to stop a drunk person from coming and spilling a drink on, you know, the monitors or on people or because they would just, I mean, people would just be packed in there. It seems so strange now after COVID. Nobody's yeah. anywhere, but yeah. like people <laughs> would just be in a in the club like this trying to look good in their six inch stilettos. Yeah. And, you
0: know? Yeah. Life pre COVID. Yeah. 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 What was an experience that taught you one of the biggest lessons that you learned? Because, you know, you always learn from, you know, quote, unquote, bad experiences.
1: Manager calendar, show up on time. There's yeah. a period, especially in television, where I have a, a crewer that I respect so much that I really let down. Mm-hmm. And not only did I let, I let him down twice in a row, like he had crewed me out and I was um, new to the audio side of television. Mm hmm. And i had been doing really great work and I deserved to be there. Mm -hmm. Like I fought to be there and he helped me out, but I really had to earn my spot. And I did. Mm -hmm. And then um, I messed it up. By being late? By being non-existent. Like I put it like on my calendar in the wrong month or something. I no call, no show
2: twice twice
1: in two weeks. Wow. Like we had a show on this Saturday and a show on this Saturday. And I had them both. Yeah. so after I got the calls and the first one was messed up they replaced me by the time I figured out the first time yeah because like this can't happen again yeah the very next Saturday it happened again wow because when I did those shows to begin with I had them wrong on the calendar
0: gotcha
1: you know yeah and so it was it it actually set me back a little bit in my television career mm-hmm. um, because there's only so many people you can crew through mm-hmm. and everybody knows each other right. we all work for the same people right you know so right. it was one of those things where like you don't want to get that mark of being unreliable. Yeah. So being early is on time. Yeah. When I was really young in the game, I used to, especially in television, I used to laugh at the guys. There'd be guys that would drive in from wherever, you know, cause none of us live like at the university where we're working or doing a sports game or something. Right. And, um, guys be like, yeah, I got, I got here two hours ago, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's just in case. Yeah. Because nobody wants to hear any excuses. They don't care about the highway. Mm -hmm. They don't care about whatever. You notice the Super Bowl is always on, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean somebody didn't die a horrible death that day. Right. That game still got to go. Right. So. On um, time. On time. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Satellites cost money and they got something else queued up. Right. right? Let's go. Right. So it's, um, I would say that that's probably the biggest mistake um, that I've ever made. It's probably being on time that and maybe getting overconfident Mm.
0: um let's talk about that getting overconfident yeah just feeling yourself
1: not i'm not one to have the most ego like that Mm. Um, people may not believe me sometimes because i'm i'm a confident person generally so Mm. i've been told that sometimes i come across as a know-it-all of this that Um, but being overconfident in where you are if you haven't spent the time don't pretend like you do because when you show up, you're going to have to show out. <laughs> right. right. So don't take a gig you shouldn't take. Right. Because then people are just going to say, oh, that guy's inexperienced. Like uh-huh. I have people offer me jobs I'm not prepared for. Mm. Now tell them, thank you. Please keep me on your list. I'm training for that, but I'm not ready. Mm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Which is humbling to say, but um, you have to know yourself and your skill set. Yeah. Because people are going to ask you specific stuff can you do this Mm. have you worked with this piece of equipment right don't say yes if you haven't Mm. you know yeah there's some guys that i know in this industry that can just pick up and you know them too Mm. they could pick up the manual for a red camera and tell you everything that you could ever do with a red camera
2: yeah (laughs) like we know
1: those folks we've been to school with them all that stuff i'm not that person You know what I mean? Yeah. So if I've never worked with that particular mixer or that, you know, piece of equipment, Mm -hmm. you know, that piece of wireless, I'll, I'll look it up, you know, but I'll also be honest, say no. Yeah. And realize that some of that stuff comes with time. Yeah. A lot of the equipment that I work around and on, Mm -hmm. I can't afford, I don't have it at home to practice on. Right. So it is in a sense like an on-the-job training sometimes you can have a mentor give you access to some equipment stuff like that mm-hmm. you can go online and download manuals and you know look at equipment youtube has made it amazing now YouTube like is amazing. i wish youtube was what it is now when i was what yeah YouTube's when i was amazing. younger so i still learn a lot um you know that way even mm-hmm. but you also have to be willing to learn and you continuously learn yeah like, so many people just want to be like oh i'm the shiznit i'm done be like this for the rest of my life. <laughs> Feel free. The rest of the world going to move on and you will be right where you were. And everybody else be over here making more money, doing bigger projects and stuff.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: so.
0: Yeah, you learn every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And you have to be open to learn. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say you have to be mature enough to tell people like that you don't know or, mm-hmm. you know, because I'll tell people like, I don't know, but I can figure it out. But I don't know. I just want to yep. put that up front. But I do think you have to reach a certain level of maturity to even say that
1: my my primary audio mentor i have mentors mentorship is really important too um I have mentors for the different aspects that i work in mm-hmm. i have a theater mentor mm-hmm. i have streaming mentors i have live audio mixing mentors mm-hmm. like one of the guys that i get to have conversations with mixes for he just did um j-lo at the white house
2: oh okay you know what i mean yeah like, yeah
1: i get to like you know the the former front of house engineer for one direction
2: hmm.
1: can get a cookie recipe from him right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, but, and it's funny cause all that's network. That like I've never met him in person, mm-hmm. but we have a relationship and he respects me as a professional, mm-hmm. you know, because of how we were introduced and all that stuff. So, right, right. um, having mentors is really important.
0: <laughs> so, um, real quick before we get into the five questions, I want you to talk about the Piedmont blues preservation society Okay, and how you came about with that.
1: All right. Well, um, Pete Blue's Preservation Society is a 35 year old nonprofit that is responsible for curating and preserving the legacy of you know the African American music known as the blues, um, and also with to for engaging um the black community with its own art form. Okay so um you know it's kind of a multi-tiered organization i wanted to i've always volunteered Um, my grandmother volunteered endlessly um, at the greensboro urban ministry through her church Mm -hmm. at the hospital she retired from the hospital and would still go every saturday and volunteer there Mm -hmm. you know um Mm -hmm. so volunteerism was really big in my life and i realized it was something giving back something that helps feed my soul so i started volunteering with the blue society when they had a board position that I found out was available
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they had an interview process, which we still do. And I um, interviewed, told them why I wanted to be on the board. They thought it was a good idea. And, mm-hmm. um, I was immediately the youngest board member yeah. <laughs> at age. I was like 33 or 34. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the youngest person. That seemed insane to me.
0: Well, you I know? mean, I think you were, a Good person to put on the board, but that's neither you nor know they keep
1: going, yeah, yeah. And so, um, that started me just learning more about the organization and what they do. Um, they have we have programs that are um, community programs mm-hmm. like special needs and elder outreach. We go into mm-hmm. nursing homes mm-hmm. and uh, special needs facilities and adult day centers, mm-hmm. and we bring blues, music, and culture to those experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, we also go into um the schools with our blues in the schools program Mm -hmm. and uh rec centers uh we've gone into church programs church child care programs and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um, to bring blues education Mm -hmm. um to those organizations and to their patrons so um what we're most known for is probably the carolina blues festival mm-hmm. which is now i think officially the oldest blues festival in the southeast wow um which is like something we have great pride in you know we've mm-hmm. had all sorts of legends um of the blues community come across our stage and the blues festival has been held in multiple parts of our community mm-hmm. um, so we've had it in high point and winston um It's most popularly been in Greensboro and is currently resides in Greensboro. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's a it's a really fun event and it's like a family reunion every year. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, The organization was started by the owner of a newspaper and several nightclubs. Um, The newspaper was ESP and um, which is like the arts paper before kind of Yes Weekly and like the Mm -hmm. period that we're in now. Mm -hmm. Um, But his name was Bill Mitchell. Okay and he is a beloved community member and a really kind person. Mm -hmm. Um, he owned clubs and owned an arts paper for Mm -hmm. our community and, you know, felt that, you know, the blues was one of his favorite genres and that a blue society would be good. So him Mm -hmm. along with Logie Meacham and, um, several other, um, people started the blue society kind of first as a club, but after only one year they decided to get their nonprofit status and see if they could do more with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I came in and after several years, um, was given feedback and the board was transitioning, you know, people like, it was a, it was a pretty, you know, experienced board, let's call it. I was like the youngest person there mm-hmm. and people had spent a lot of time and were kind of burned out. So we started looking for new board members still, you know, and eventually they decided to change leadership. They asked me if I'd be interested in being president. Nice. And I talked to my wife about it and thought about it. I was like, you know what? I never thought that opportunity would present itself, especially mm-hmm. to me at such a young age mm-hmm. to be like a nonprofit director.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But, um, yes. And so I did it. And now it's been like three years and we've been off to the races and faced all sorts of challenges and overcome them. And yeah, we've now survived a pandemic and we're looking to grow and change. And,
2: yes. Yeah.
1: Um, we just redesigned our websites, Piedmont Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: and we've got a Spotify channel now and we're using Instagram more and Mm. Facebook is more engaging than it's ever been for us. Yeah. Redesigning our newsletter and looking at new programming. Yeah. Um, one thing that happened was, um, the group had been largely administrated by white people. We've always had black people involved with the group and there's never really been any issue of black or white. But as I came into it just from a different perspective, and being younger, having conversations that are difficult was really important. And educating people was important. Right. And it was happening, but I felt like we could do more. So mm-hmm. I pushed really hard to you know continue the legacy that existed, but also to expand it. And so we're building a um, program. We reworked our education program. Mm-hmm. It's going to be called the Blues Equity Institute. Okay. And it's going to be a place where we can investigate black arts culture through a blues lens as opposed to just looking at music as this little spot on a pop map this, yeah this blip that happened in time yeah we want to look at its overall influence because it's everywhere yeah like hip-hop is blues grandbaby it is you know yeah and um i think i was talking earlier with someone and i said you know blues people don't know blues was the world's first pop music it didn't exist mm-hmm. until blues and one of the key people that made blues popular is from North Carolina. Who was that? His name is blind boy Fuller Mm. and he was born in Wadesboro. Um, He lived up in Danville and in Winston, but uh, Durham claims him. That's where he spent most of his adult life was Mm -hmm. in Durham. Mm -hmm. And um, he went blind by the time he was 19 died by the time he was 40. Mm -hmm. Um, And during the time, during the last five years of his career, which was pretty prolific. Like this guy was a prolific songwriter. Um, They had been doing race records Mm -hmm. and a record company found him and started inviting him to New York. Mm
2: -hmm. He
1: went to New York and in five years recorded over a hundred singles, all of which saw radio play. Wow. And that is how blues became pop music. His songs in their wide range of lyrics, Mm -hmm. wide range of topics and uh with a piedmont style picking mm-hmm. on an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. um was some of the first records that were being you know requested people not only wanted to hear it on the radio they wanted to have it in their house mm. and would go out and buy it and started requesting no we need that blind boy fuller right we need smells like fish right now that's you never
0: know? a song girl
1: and they didn't understand the lyrics right you know um he he was talking about some topics and that's another thing people you know conversations that we get to have at the blue society people don't understand like all the sensationalism and all of the coded messaging that you hear about from spirituals and underground roads all that stuff is in there yeah so he was having songs talking about smells like fish and things he liked to eat i'll I'll be polite leave it there
0: um, I caught the, I caught the hint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh,
1: but I don't think most people did. Maybe the black people did. Right. Cause they're used to the kind of the coded language and kind of that. Right. Um, type of thing. But it was playing all over. People dancing with their kids to this stuff, not realizing what he's talking about. Yeah. You know,
0: that reminds me of the, um, the song by Nets Too Close. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time, people did not know what they yeah. were talking about, but
1: people. And that's, yeah. and that's part of the genius in the history of, and the magic of blues Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it
1: blues taught america how to hide things in your lyrics Mm -hmm. how to how to be a little bit more nuanced about it yeah you know what i mean yeah and um you know it led to rock and roll led to funk hip-hop yeah half of r&b is rhythm and what blues Blues. so like i I don't even say r&b anymore what do you say rhythm and blues oh (laughs) yeah i don't i don't shorten it anymore because i feel like that blues part has been so lost And as I advocate for our art and for equity in it, it's Mm -hmm. also where blues is also where record companies learned how to abuse artists for the first time because record sales weren't a thing. So, but once you realized, Oh, I can control this, I'm going to pay him $5 for this song. I'm going to go make 10 grand off of it. Yeah. Never have to talk to him again. He signed the contract. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of conversations we get to have through the blues. Yeah. And we also just get together and have fun. We have jams Mm -hmm. um, in our community, people get together and, you know, we have, um, like the R&B community has a lot of open mics, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you go and you show up and it's like Showtime at the Apollo. Everybody's waiting to boo you, kind of, is how it feels. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not good, you like, don't even get up on the stage. Right. 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 Blues is the exact opposite.
0: But people are more embracing.
1: Yeah. Come and play. Mm-hmm. You don't know this song, that's fine. You play guitar. Hey, this one's CG&E, follow me. Yeah. No, not like that. Not like that, like this. Let's keep going. Don't stop. Like, yeah. it's it's a really encouraging uh community Mm. and it's and and it's embraced that way because it's that's how it was um it's full of you know kind of lessons from our ancestors yeah and it's part of an oral story storytelling tradition
2: yeah yeah you
1: know so we have histories and stories that are told inside of the blues narrative Mm. that aren't told anywhere else and that aren't preserved anywhere else yeah you know even like um one of my favorite stories to tell is like uh the story of the song kumbaya Right. Because mm-hmm. gospel and spirituals and blues are all married together and come from the same places.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, Kumbaya is a great story about equity, because when we think of Kumbaya, I know from me, I was born in 1980. Mm-hmm. And when I think Kumbaya and how I grew up with that song, it was you know, white kids that could afford to go to sleepaway camp, singing it joyously with marshmallows over a fire. Right. Mm hmm. But that's not what the song was or what it was ever intended. Mm-hmm. It was a popular song, but Kumbaya is an African dialect, Geechee mm-hmm.
2: of
1: American spiritual saying, come by here. Kumbaya, Kumbaya. Because
0: that song is Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. Right? Come
1: by here, my Lord. Come by here. And when you think of every lyric you ever heard it is the most depressing, horrible thing. Come by, here. somebody's dying, my Lord. Yeah. Come by here. Yeah, You know, like all the lyrics are some of the saddest things. And it's, it's, it's a really good example of how misunderstood the blues can be, Yeah, you know, and the credit just two years ago, two, three years ago, there was an early recording found from a field recorder um, some audio field recorder that had gone around and had recorded the Geechee Yellow People. Mm-hmm. And it's like the early, like the 1920s, mm-hmm. there's now a recording that was found. And that's how they were credited academically, finally, and said, this is what they were saying. These are the actual lyrics. And this is the culture that comes from,
2: mm. you know? Yeah.
1: But nobody would credit them with that song. Yeah. You know, but it's important when we understand where that song's come from, maybe now you'll share that story with your kids and you won't have them singing happy songs about the, the roasted marshmallows around the fire. Right. Maybe you'll have proper reverence for the oppression of a people.
0: Right. You know, right.
1: when you learn that. So,
0: yeah gave me a lot to think about right there. And I'm going to talk to you about it off camera, okay. but okay. Um, well, let's move forward because yeah. that was like, I, I keep going. But anyway, so let's talk about our five steps okay. for people to get into this sound engineering game. Yeah. Oh, um, so go ahead and tell us about that.
1: Um. First thing I would do, if you want to do sound engineering, understand what it is. Understand what the definition of sound is.
0: Let's talk about that. I mean, quickly. Yeah.
1: Quickly talk about that. Uh, sound is energy traveling through a medium to a receiver. That's it. Mm. Like, you know, my vocal cords move, they vibrate the air. It resonates around in my mouth, which has a specific shape. The mm-hmm. nasal cavity comes out, goes into this microphone. Mm. When it hits this microphone, it moves the electrode in the microphone mm-hmm. an electromagnet takes that turns it into electrical signal mm-hmm. goes down a cable goes into whatever and then we take that signal and put it back out through a speaker on the other end or a recording device or whatever mm-hmm. you know yes. so but for audio there has to be you know a receiver and there has to be a transmitter
0: right right that's very important as your first step understanding what sound is yeah and the process of how it works Mm -hmm. yeah okay
1: so step number one is finding out sound what sound is number two find out how it works (laughs) (laughs) like understanding the difference between how your ears work and how microphone works as Mm. a receiver
2: Mm. yeah
1: yeah um understanding how it goes from uh analog energy Mm -hmm. to an electrical or digital signal Mm. because a transformation has to happen right and it took people a long time to figure out how that works (laughs) right right and the equipment to do it is not cheap it is not so you know (laughs) and and there's a reason yeah because it's very specific technology so um understanding it so understanding what sound is understanding how sound works um then trying it okay before you do go find yourself some equipment of any kind it doesn't matter it can literally be your cell phone in your hand mm. and start to understand it mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. happens if you hold it out here and make a sound mm-hmm. is if you hold it here make a sound mm-hmm. like you know you'll start to figure out things like what distortion are and excuse me um what a noise floor is and different things that affect it all the science we can get into but that's number three would be definitely understanding you know how it works um we were on three right yeah we were yeah. on three so now four
0: no three was experimenting because two was understanding Th- sorry. how it works
1: two was understanding how it works three was experimenting with it yeah um four would be find yourself a mentor
0: mm-hmm.
1: your mentor can be youtube to start youtube is real but it's a real thing find yourself a mentor and educate yourself it's the same step mm-hmm. you know they're online talking about this all the time mm-hmm. you know and you start by typing in what is sound <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What does yeah. an audio engineer do? What does a sound engineer do? Yeah. You know, um those those would be the first four steps. And the last step would be never stop learning.
0: Oh. Mm. That's important right there. That's a the key right there. There's always
1: going to be a new piece of technology. I'm not scared of any of it. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah.
1: You know. And as a bonus, I would also say um, number two pays really good. Mm -hmm. So take the pressure off yourself. We always have this thing that we do, especially in America. You got to be number one. You got to be Michael Jordan if you're going to play ball. You got to. No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't. Yeah. You know what? If you learn how to dribble and you learn how to dribble well enough to teach somebody else how to dribble, Mm -hmm. that, that could be your thing. Yeah. You could just be a dribbling ass coach. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's a thing. Yeah. People coach people on nothing but the crossover and get paid tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So find, you know, your thing and, you know, get good at it. But number two pays very well. Like number two, you don't have to be end all be all. You'll probably never hear me say I'm like the best sound engineer. there are sound engineers that are much more technically savvy than me
2: yeah there
1: are sound engineers that are better with style than i am but i have a really good balance yeah you know yeah i definitely know my stuff you know Mm -hmm. um but i'm not interested in being number one also i think realizing what it takes to to be that and do that Mm -hmm. might not be what you actually want for your life
0: that's important right there too
1: People are like, I want to be a CEO. Do you know the average CEO only sleeps for six hours a night, reads for two hours a day, works out for an hour a day? Like, you know, like, is that what you want? You want your life to be that regimented? I never did. Right. (laughs) Right. You know, so that's not necessarily, you know, the path for me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, at least not right now. Things change. Maybe you grow and change. That is what you want. But, you know yeah being the number i i I had no desire to fight i must be the number one sound engineer for every def jam tour i know guys that that's their goal
2: yeah and
1: did it yeah (laughs) you know yeah and they're amazing at it you know what those guys are doing right now studying the audio when they can trading on the stock market working at lowe's foods (laughs) (laughs) home depot yeah so you have to you know be also ready to ready to pivot Ready
3: to yeah.
0: change, being versatile and able to pivot is very important. I feel like the pandemic should have taught everybody that you have to pivot. I hope they're paying attention <laughs> in a moment's <laughs> notice, right? You know. Yes. Okay. That was a great, great five steps. I actually, gave them a bonus too. So, what would the prerequisite be for the course? They're coming tomorrow to class, mm-hmm. and they know this is what we're going to be learning about. What's the prerequisite mm-hmm. tonight before they come to class?
1: Prerequisite before you come to class. Um. (laughs) they
0: can't come to class half-stepping they gotta be like
1: focused and ready the prerequisite has two basic steps show up on time and pass no judgment early is on time and be prepared to not judge anyone Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I don't care if somebody's standing next to you while you're learning and they stink (laughs) I'm dead serious yes that happens
0: it does happen in life yeah.
1: like and in arts yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah you know, i don't care if they stink i don't care if they talk funny yeah i don't care how they look just be willing to learn from them and with them yeah no judgment
0: no judgment have you heard the saying um no manager friend no manager foe but every manager teacher mm-hmm. you heard that before yes i have
1: yeah i have so. uh, you can learn something from everybody i've got four small children and a wife—they all teach me every day. You know, I've got people all around me that deal with all sorts of stuff. You know, whether it's disability or, um, or with really big companies. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's something to learn from everybody. Yeah. Also, remember, learn from people's mistakes.
0: <laughs> That's how you learn the most. It's yeah. from mistakes. Yeah. You don't.
1: We learn were talking about that earlier. Senses, it's like right. you, know, you will learn a lot more um, when you're troubleshooting and getting something wrong right then you often will when you're getting it right when you're getting straight a's yes you're learning but um a lot of the deeper lessons you need about you know tenacity resilience patience Mm -hmm. um and follow through will all come from you know you really pushing yourself to just keep at it don't judge right keep going right (laughs) right (laughs) right yes you know
0: i really enjoyed this conversation with you i really have i've learned so much of course we can. i thought we were already friends we troopy toe. okay um like, i was saying yeah. it was a joke yes so you know. no um, <laughs> i definitely want to talk to you more like off camera just yeah. you have a lot of information and you're so intriguing the opera thing definitely like put you on a new level for me it did yeah not that you were on a good level anyway, it's just it was so different
1: my grandmother used to always say yeah. you know Cause I've always been so curious and scattered in a little ways Mm. and she'd be like, you know, you better be careful. You know, you're going to be a Jack of all trades and a master of none. And like I said, second place is fine. Who said I need to be a master at everything? (laughs) What if I just want to know how to do a whole bunch of stuff? What if I want to cook Thai food and mix audio? And stream. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And hacky sack. I'm really good with a hacky sack. Okay. Like, I'm really ridiculously good with a hacky sack. Yeah. um, Like, just random stuff. If I like something, I'll go figure it out.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I'll go do it. <laughs>
0: yes. um, I have another idea that I want to talk to you about, too, when we get off the camera. But okay. I enjoyed it. I just want to tell you that I really appreciate you coming through and hey, stopping. And I appreciate
1: you. I was so excited. I'm so engaged with what you do. And I can I can I share something with you? Sure. Um, I am a black man that was raised in patriarchy and dealing with really strong black women, even though I was raised by them, can be really intimidating. So <laughs> it's like it's really, really funny. And I but I say it out loud because I think it's important. I, I don't think enough men say it. huh. And, um, and, it, and it's because we just don't understand, yeah, like, what's going on inside the female mind and the female psyche sometimes. Yes. But I finally, especially through working, we did on um, Women of the Blues as a theme for the mm-hmm. Blues Society. And mm-hmm. I really took it personally and, like, looked at how I was interacting with women. Mm-hmm. Am I really listening to women and their ideas? Mm-hmm. Um, am I including them in my conversations and all that stuff? So I just want to say I'm extremely proud of you guys. Oh, you. You know, for you. being business owners and bosses and working. Yeah. And I've got to see you guys progress and grow and polish yourselves as you desire. Yes, you know, yeah. um, which is really important. The as you desire part. Yeah. Other people will tell you what polish looks like, um, but I see you guys doing it your way, and I really like the way yeah. that it's coming out. Well, thank and even you. if I didn't, congratulations yeah. on doing it well for yourself.
0: Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> so, that. I but appreciate it's really important that, that yes. you know
1: we we say that you know as members of the same community and as just you know friends and people
0: so yes i appreciate that thank you so much you're welcome so much but thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the artist spot podcast i'm your host watcher shuler you can follow me on social media at watcher shuler and we'll catch you next time